Welcome to the Marion Message presented by the Mosaic of Marion podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marion Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. Well, amen, amen. Guys, if you would, throughout today, um, today and tonight, Drew is currently... Um, I told you guys, he's preaching everywhere, man. It's not a Sunday that he's not somewhere now. God is using him. He is actually at Ferrum College today. He is, he is preaching there today, sort of testimony-ish, sermon-ish kind of thing. And then, if you would, Tuesday night, he'll be preaching there Tuesday night in Revival um, on campus, I think, at 7 o'clock Tuesday night. So if you guys, he'd ask that you be praying for him as he goes about doing that. So he's always off on Sunday mornings doing, doing that, preaching the gospel somewhere. Funny story about him, I have to laugh. He said, yo, Dad, I know the message I'm going to preach. What do I wear? I'm like, well, you're on a college campus, yo, so I don't think I would go with your three-piece suit. I would probably go with some jeans, bro, and actually iron your shirt. But I guess I really should have said, you're in college, don't iron your shirt. Go with that. Go with that look. So anyway, so pray for Drew um, today. Uh, you can be praying while we're doing this. He's up there probably now um, doing his testimony and preaching, and then he'll be there Tuesday night on campus for those guys. And um, I said, man, just drop the plow deep. They need it, um, just like we do. You ever had a bad week? So I'll say, sometimes we have a bad week, month, year, life. And so as we talk about today this thing called the strength of faith, I pray that God's going to use this. Because we're going to look at a section of, of Hebrews. If you want to, you can turn to Hebrews 11, and we're going to be there in verse 27 and 28, but I'm not going to start there. So you could mark that, um, but then flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You want to talk about a hard life for the ministry. If there was a guy that had it hard, yet finished well, it's the Apostle Paul. Now, listen, I am not discounting, and I don't want anybody here to think that I'm discounting anything you have walked through in this lifetime. But I want you to hear these in case you've never heard this list. If you, you really want to know an autobiography of Paul, man, read 2 Corinthians. It is the most autobiographical picture of Paul in all of Scripture. He, he has a lot of the history of who he is in his coming to the Lord. But listen to this. They're questioning his apostleship there in Corinth and some, some of these Guys had come in when he had left claiming to be these super apostles, and they're saying how bad Paul is, and he just sort of begins to defend himself. And listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to start in the middle of verse 21. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, and then I love these parts, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. 
Are they offspring of Christ, of Christ, of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And I love this. And at this point, Paul is like, man, this is ridiculous. But here it is. Am I, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I hear you, Paul. I am talking like a madman. <laughs> With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Now listen to this. Now this is what he walked through. And this is for all those that would preach. And I hope a prosperity preacher listens to me today and catches some of this. When Jesus calls you to salvation, here's what I know he didn't call you to, a life of luxury. As so many would proclaim from whatever pulpit they stand behind. Oh, you're going to have everything you've ever wanted. You're going to, have, you're going to be flush with money. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. No, it's a life of hardship ultimately. Listen to this. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, from robbers, from my own people, from Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers, in toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. My goodness. Doesn't that sound like something you ought to put on your flyer for, to try to get people to come to church? Is that, man, if you come to Jesus, man, you're going to get beaten with rods, and you're going to be beaten with whips, and you're going to be shipwrecked, and you're going to have this, and you're always going to be looking behind you because somebody's coming after you. That's the Christian life. And we got people that want to talk about how bad they got it because somebody didn't speak to them at church. Well, I, 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 man, God said he would provide, and I had to go without my, I don't know, what, Starbucks. I'm, I will be praying that the suffering you're going through. Anybody would drink that nasty mess anyway. You got a problem. We all know Dunkin' Donut is so much better. But anyway, or, or, or this, listen, so how is it, and then, but I want to go one more place with this. So that's his life. So for about 30 years, Paul lived as an anti-God. He was killing Christians, and he was doing his best to be a, a really good, um, working to be a great rabbi and this and that. And the last 30, he basically lived his life on the run, in a sense, getting the snot beat out of him every time he turned around. I mean, it's just, let's just be honest what he did. But then he could go, now turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, we know he's either days or possibly weeks, potentially a few months. We don't really know. He's about to lose his head. But in that prison, as he's writing the last words he would pen on earth, he gets to the end of, now they didn't have chapters when he was writing this letter to Timothy. It was just a letter. He sort of, he embarks upon this last thought, and he says this to a young pastor. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And all of that is so vitally important. But it's this third little one that I want to deal with today, and we're going to see in the life of Moses, 
I've kept the faith. How do you keep the faith in a world that would just as soon destroy you as a Christian and destroy you as a person when we face all the trials and tribulations that we face in this world? I mean, because let's just be honest, Jesus himself said, they're going to hate you because they hated me. In this world, you will have tribulations and trials. How do you get through all those things so that your very last breath that you can be as Paul would say, man, I have finished my race and I have kept the faith. Life's not easy, y'all. Just being honest, it's not easy. And if you would sit here today and you would say, I don't know, man, my life's easy, then you're not living. You're definitely not trying to live for Jesus. Now flip to Hebrews 11. And would you stand when you get there, if you're able, out of honor and respect? And look, I'm going to read two verses, and, I'm gonna, and as I get through, here it is. Sermon today is based on three words. Here's how you get through this life that would love to destroy you. Remember, the thief cometh to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal for you. That's what he wants to do in your life, is to destroy you. So how do you get through when the world stands against you? Three words, starting at verse 27. <coughs> By faith, talking of Moses, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured. First word, enduring. As seeing, second word, him who is invisible. By faith, he kept. There's the third word, keeping. So it's enduring, it's seeing, and it's keeping. There's the outline for today. Seeing him who is impossible, invisible, excuse me, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Father, in the name of Jesus, God help us to have the strength of faith to get through this life without giving up hope. God, we love you dearly and deeply. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I told him this morning, it was funny. I was talking to Kim before early morning, and, and she and I, uh, Kim's had one of them weeks, man. She said, man, there was time this week, Hank, I did not think I could get my head above water. She said, everybody at office needed a moment, and this person, and I needed to figure out stuff for church, financial, I need to figure this out, I need to do this. It was just, and I mean, we have those weeks, don't we? It's just, how am I going to get through? How can I have the strength to put one foot in front of the other? I'm going to give you three ways to make sure you do it in this life and to stay the course and keep the faith that Jesus calls. Number one, enduring. You have to be enduring. That word enduring means to be steadfast and to be strong, to be patient. Now, listen, I mean, it's one thing, man, to, to have that week at work and you are struggling, but it's another when they're coming against you for, about your beliefs and you're just struggling with friendships of people that have betrayed you or life and physical harm. And I'm talking about the whole gamut of things that we deal with. How can you keep on keeping on without letting the pressures of this world overwhelm you? You have to be steadfast and patient. Turn your Bible to Lamentations. 
I found myself in this book several times in the past week or so. And I pretty much decided that next year, at some point, I'm going to preach about a four-sermon series out of this. But here's how, here's how you be steadfast and you're patient and you're strong when all the world seems to be going against you. When you could write your own autobiography like Paul had to write. And like Moses said that he endured, although the king, the most powerful man on the earth, was coming against him. In Lamentations, if you can't find it, you find the book of Jeremiah and go over one. And you'll find it. Listen to these words. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You see... I love it when things match up like that. The definition of enduring is steadfast. And the very second word in that portion of Scripture is the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You'll never outrun the love of Jesus in your life. You'll never have a moment where God, no matter what you've done, that God will not love you. And then he goes on, not only that, but his mercies never come to an end. How awesome is that truth? They are new every morning, and we just sang this song, Great is Your Faithfulness. Can I make this statement? There's going to be everybody. Let me just make, I'm going to make a bold statement. Everybody in your life will let you down. Spouse, child, parents, family, friends, at some point, they're going to let you down just going to happen. Let me tell you who won't. Jesus Christ. Great is your faithfulness. Never forget that. Hebrews chapter 13, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Paul wrote, if we read on in 2 Timothy, at the, get on in there a little bit farther, he says, everyone has left me except Jesus who has stood with me. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And by the way, that therefore, when it's speaking about the hope in him, means I'm going to be patient, I'm going to tarry, and I'm going to trust. Because verse 25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. He said, just hang in there. Don't give up hope. I promise there's a new day coming. There's sunshine coming on the horizon. I will never forget you. I won't leave you. Just hang in there. I'm showing you something either about me or about you, and you can hang in there and make it through. I promise. Therefore, I'll hope in him. And by the way, that hope, it's not a hope so hope. Like you guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but really a month from today my birthday. I mean, hey guys, all you guys that were part of it that got me that AR-15, bless your heart, I can't wait to see what you do for my birthday. Brad, <laughs> Jay, Jason, just saying. Hey, but anyway, I'm, man, I'm hoping for my birthday. Man, I'm hoping that day, man, I kill a humongous buck. Probably not going to happen. <laughs> But see, that's a hope-so hope. Here's the great thing. In Jesus and my salvation, I have a no-so hope. I know he's coming back. I know when I draw my last breath, he's faithful. Though he shall die, yet shall he live. 
Well, that's the hope we have in Jesus. Not some hope so hope. So listen, and then as we get back here, notice what it says, that he was not being afraid of the anger of the king. So that speaks about what I believe is the enemy's greatest tactic in your life, fear. I believe he uses that more than anything else in, in our lives, is fear. We, we're afraid of, of rejection or afraid of losing our job or afraid of losing popularity or afraid of a loss of our reputation or afraid of criticism that may come if we stand up or just afraid of standing alone at some point so we stay silent. And the enemy says, if you do that, everybody's going to look at you and laugh. Fear cripples us. And it causes us to freeze and to, to be able to do anything. And here's what I want to tell you. Don't give in to your fears. I know that's hard. I'm telling y'all, man. So Friday I was out uh, doing a little scouting and doing this and that. And I walked through, possibly, because I didn't see it to the last minute, the biggest spider web of my life. <sighs> Jay, that thing wrapped around my head twice. And I think it was a spider. You know them big ones you get that are yellow in the fall? Them big spiders, man? I mean, the springtime spiders are little bitty things. These fall suckers, man, KP, they're huge, man. And I thought I felt that sucker on my neck. I flipped out. <laughs> Bro, it was 14 types of karate going on, and I threw in some jiu-jitsu and four other Chinese words. No, I did not cuss. I do not mean that. I just thought that somebody would say, he just said he cussed. No, I did not. Akarate is what I was talking about. That's fear, man. I, I love when people face their fears. And I, can, I know some of you guys, I can look at a spider, and that's fine. But if that sucker gets on me, ah, do you got eight little legs crawling on you, man? Yeesh. But you know that I found out that everybody's afraid of something. Even the heroes of our faith were afraid at times spiritually. Abraham, he went down to Egypt because there was a famine, and he's going down, and he says, hey, by the way, Sarah, you're so beautiful. The Pharaoh is going to see you. He's going to want you, and he's going to take you, and he's going to kill me. So you tell him that I'm just your brother, that you're my sister. Aaron got scared because Moses had been gone so long and the people were clamoring for something to see, and that's why he made the golden calf. Ten of the twelve spies came back and were afraid. We looked like grasshoppers, they say. Majority of Gideon's army was afraid. The disciples were afraid, and Jesus was in the boat. Peter was afraid because the storm got rougher. And then Peter got afraid of some little small girl that said, you were with him, weren't you? Fear paralyzes us. God says, don't be afraid, I'm, I'm here. How is it that you can endure when fear comes? How was it that Moses, the Bible says that he was not afraid of the anger of the king? How do you do that? Go to Ephesians chapter 3. you got to have something on the inside. And I'm going to build off of this in the next two words when I get there. We're going to build off how you do this, 
How do you endure is based upon the next two and this right here. So if you've never read the book of Ephesians, I want to encourage you, the first, two, first three chapters are doctrine and the last three are duty. But right before you get to chapter four, he sort of has this prayer. And I want you to hear this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory. You guys get that? It's according not to anything of here. It's the riches of his glory, by the way. And it's not speaking of just material things or financial things. He can pour out from the riches of his glory anything that you need in a moment of fear. He can pour it out because he is rich in everything. There's nothing he lacks. You're hurting, he can fill you up with some peace. You're, you're struggling, he can fill you up with some strength. You're, you're, you're wishy-washy, he can fill you up with knowledge. Anything that you need, God says, I have it in abundance. And he goes on the rich, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's where you need the strength because, listen, the greatest definition I've ever heard of courage is this. It is fear that takes the next step. So you're strengthening your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love to have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, my Lanta, can you get that? You can have all of God sort of residing in you because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and the Spirit is fully God. And then I love that verse next one. Now to him who's able to do far more. You may say, well, preacher, I'm here today. I'm struggling with life. Matter of fact, I've had thoughts of ending it. Don't. You let God move in your life. You let the Holy Spirit encourage you in the inner person. That no matter what is happening, God will walk with you through it. Everybody else may walk away. God will never. He's not going to walk ahead of you. He's not going to walk behind you. He's going to walk right beside of you. And lock arms with you and be there right with you. And he'll whisper, my child, I love you so much I gave my very life for you. You stay the course. Enduring. So how do you endure? To, how do you do that, preacher? How do you live that way? What do you got to have? Number two, you got to be seeing. And here's the crazy part. Listen to this. Seeing him who is invisible. Well, you want to tell me how to do that? I mean, if they're invisible, it literally means cannot be seen. How, preacher, are you going to say you can see the invisible? Because Scripture says it. How, how do you, what helps you take the next step when you are walking by faith, yet you have this fear and this fear of the unknown that you've never been? How do you take that next step? You see who, him, him who is invisible. Now, I want to show you how Moses did it, and then how we can do it. Okay? Everybody with me? This is important. Moses did it by this. First off, if you go back to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 7, I'm going to show you from Scripture. 
And look at verse 23. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart. Here's what that means. I hope you wrote this last week. I used this last week. Here's what you ought to say. He got a word from heaven. Remember, Moses' life can be broken down into three sections of 40. First 40 years, he lived thinking he was somebody. Second 40 years, he found out he was nobody. The last 40 years, he could work for the one body. That's his life. And he gets here, and he gets a word. God spoke into his heart. You know what I prayed this morning, sort of early this morning? Right here. That God was speaking to our hearts today. I said, God, I don't know who's going to be here. And I know this message is really about struggling. And I don't know how they're struggling or what they're struggling with. But here's what I'm asking. Speak into their hearts today. Let them see you. So he spoke, so he gets this word, and then, then he gets put on the backside of nowhere. So now he's at confirmation, and he responds, and now go to Exodus chapter 3. Go to Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side. He went to the back side of nowhere. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, he said, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. When God really speaks to you, you'll know it's his voice. I think about Paul on that road to Damascus. Now, Paul hated Jesus. He worked against him. He thought he was working for God, but he wasn't. But the moment that Jesus spoke to him on the, on the road to Damascus, what's the first thing Paul said? Who are you, Lord? He knew it was the voice of the Lord. It'll be clear to you when you get a word from heaven. This burning bush... Because God said he was a consuming fire is a type of Christ, I believe. And so he met and he knew he had met the Lord right there. And so now he had not only heard the word, he had met God face to face. That's how you get this firm foundation. That's how you see who him, he who, see him who is invisible. Let me say it straight. But you may say, wait a minute, preacher. I'm not getting that today, am I? Is there going to be a bush that burns that doesn't burn? I mean, what, is God just going to show up? We got something better, y'all. You ready for this? Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 1. When I say we have something better, we got something so much better. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Once again, that hope for is not a hope-so hope. It's a no-so hope. It's a hope that is grounded in the foundation of Jesus Christ because he's the one who penned all these words in a sense. He's the one by the power of the Holy Spirit that said what he wanted to say. And I can have assurance of everything. I don't have a blind faith. I have a book full of faith. And by the way, if you'd been here on Wednesday nights, you'd have heard Bruce teach on the fact that this Bible is the most heavily 
supported book ever written. There's some of the, the, the letters that were written, we can date back to within 30 years of their writing, and the whole Bible, basically from 100 years of its writing, and there, but now you, oh, we got all these, well, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah, our closest copy is somewhere around 1,500 years from then, right, Bruce? Somewhere in that. So, well, we have it within 100, but you're going to question this, and yet the Iliad and the Odyssey, you're going to, 1,500 years, you're going to say that that can be trusted? Really? This book, there is more truth about Jesus Christ being alive, and there's more evidence of him than Hank Meadows being alive. Let that thought sink in. There's more historical evidence of the truth of the life of Jesus than Hank Meadows who's standing before you today. I mean, dudes like Josephus wrote about him. All these other guys that wrote about that were not believers. That's why I have this assurance. And then he goes on, the conviction of things not seen. Preacher, have you ever seen God? No, I have not. But I've still seen him. I've seen him on the words of the pages of this book every day. I've seen him move in the lives of some of you unbelievably. I've seen things do saying crazy things happen, and I know that I know that I know that I know this is God in Jesus. But you want another evidence? Turn to Colossians chapter 1. So remember I said that Ephesians was the first three chapters were doctrine, and then you had a prayer, and then, a, well, in Colossians, he does it a little bit differently. He starts out with the prayer, then he gets into doctrine, and I want you to notice the very first thing he says about this. In verse 15 of Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God. You want to see God? What did Jesus say? I and the Father are one. Okay, so we got that image of the invisible God. And by the way, let me get this, because now my mind's running ragingly fast, y'all. Seriously. And um, for, look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, everything that God is, Jesus is, and everything that God and Jesus are, the Holy Spirit is, all three of them are God. They're the same one, yet they're in three distinct roles. Don't ask me to explain anything past that. But go to John chapter 14. Listen to what Jesus, so Colossians 1 says he is the image of the invisible God. In John chapter 14, notice what Jesus said. So we all, we, we get, well, a lot, I think a lot of times when you have these, these Mount Everest of verses of Scripture that we forget the verses right behind. Like how many people ha- have read uh, John three seventeen? It's powerful. Or Romans 3, 24 and 25, powerful. But we get stuck on Romans 3, 23. We get stuck on John 3, 16. And then we just sort of skip. I think what we do is we read that and then we go, oh, yeah. oh, Like we're speaking Chinese. We get stuck here on John 14, 1 through 6, and specifically verse 6, which is a Mount Everest of Scripture. But then you get to verse 7, and listen to verse 7. If you had known the Father, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, I love this, and have seen him. How do you see the one that's invisible? You see the one that's equal to him. 
that is God the Son. And by the way, can I give you one more example? Go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Not 11, but go to Hebrews 1. And this great, now, this is what has been called in theological circles the Mount Everest of the description of Jesus. Some have called this the Mount Everest of the Bible, verses 1 through 4. But right in the middle of it, he says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Everything that God the Father is, God the Son is, and God the Holy Spirit. There's not one shadow of difference. So what do we do then? You build your foundation for endurance upon that rock that we just talked about, Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 7, you don't have to go there, but in Matthew chapter 7, you can go there if you want to, but you don't have to. Listen, here's what he says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Friends, I don't care what this world and the enemy wants to throw at you. If you build your entire life upon the rock of Jesus Christ and the rock of God in heaven, I promise you, I don't know how, you may be battered, you may be shipwrecked, you may be just beat upside the head, you may lose limbs, I don't know, but here's the problem promise, you'll make it through. The storms came, the rain beat, the wind blew, and everything else happened, and yet the house still stood. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against it, and it fell, and great was its fall. If you build your house on anything other than Jesus and his word, it'll fall. So you endure, and you endure by seeing, and then lastly, by keeping. That's what he said. That's what he said. So he did that, and by faith, he kept the Passover, something that was so vitally important. I mean, only the life of, their, of your firstborn child was at stake if you did not keep the, the Passover. He kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. In our life, what we need to do is keep the word of God, period. We want to keep everything else. We want to keep our thoughts. Well, this is what I think, preacher. I don't care what you think. It does not matter eternally. That's right. What matters eternally is what God said. And too many of us think we're going to get into heaven on some, I'm getting this from you, Bruce, some technicality. Like God's going to understand. God does not understand you. He says, come my way or don't come at all. So many of us want to do this. Man, we want to have eternity. We want to have heaven. And yet we want to just, there my toes right there. It's like we want to cut off our big toe and throw it over into heaven. And the rest of the time, we're living like a bunch of hellions going, but look what I did over there. That's what we're doing. See that day right there? That's why God's going to let me into heaven right there. That day, that day, that day, that day. I've not done anything for Jesus since that day. I've not lived for him. I've not read his word. I've not done anything except 
cuss, drink, live like a hellion, sleep around, do whatever Hank wanted to do. And then I'm going to stand in heaven and go, but Jesus, I gave you my big toe. He don't want your big toe. He wants your heart. You, you get what I'm saying? He wants your heart. I'm dying, y'all, because I broke my big toe. I'm making no sense. What do we say? I'm dying because my heart's broke. I'm hurting today because my liver's been shattered. No, I'm hurting today. I'm struggling because my heart's been shattered. Jesus died for you to be a child of His. I put this out there on social media, man. I've just been dying about, man, people loving the church and loving God and being a part. There's too much I in this world today for the believer. When Scripture clearly says, I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live. Okay, that cuts I out. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you would look at this book and you say, man, that's just too hard, and God didn't want to do anything but keep me down, you've not met the writer of this book. I heard that song this morning. It was so true. My son don't like it because it repeats. It's a 7-Eleven song, but he's a good, good father. And if you don't see him as such, I'm not trying to be mean this morning. You don't know him. If you think he's a father who is holding you down or a father that's trying to keep you from fun, you've never met the Jesus that I know. I wrote this down. I said the word keeping there means to make, to abide, to purpose. Was it the power and the blood of that lamb that kept the destroyer away? No, it was the obedience of the ones in the house. They did it because God said so. So how do I, how do I keep these things? You just abide in Jesus. John chapter 15, if you've never read it, you ought to go read that chapter. The Bible says this, abide in me and me and you and you'll produce much fruit. I don't understand a believer that says, well, you know, I'm just, I've been saved since I was you know, 10 years old, but man, since then I haven't done anything for the kingdom. I haven't lived right. I've been this and you produce no fruit and yet you think you're going to heaven. Well, I can talk a good game. As I go back to Matthew chapter 17, what does it say there? You shall know them by their words. Is that what it says? It says you'll know them by their what? Fruit. It's me living in Christ and Christ. This is the part we miss. And Christ living in me. And when Christ lives in me, that's going to change me. You cannot say you have salvation and never be changed. 
Salvation is a conviction and change within the heart of the believer that you cannot live the way you used to. you got to change because God, oh my goodness, God himself is living inside of you. That has to change you. So I ask you today, church, has there ever been a change in your life? And if not, you better take a deep, quick, hard look because Jesus will not be okay letting you into heaven if you're not his child. But it all comes back to this book. Last thing and I'm done. Right on time. Psalm 119. Some of you ought to read this. If you've never read Psalm 119, some of you look at it and go, that's 176 verses. I can't read that. Yes, you can. How can, listen to this verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Some things that Christians put up with today that just smack this book in the face. Look over here at verse 11. Listen to this. Verse 11, I have stored up. That word stored up there means to hoard. You guys remember that TV show you see out there, Hoarders? You guys ever watched it? I watched one episode and thought I was going to throw up. They say in, 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 when you're in school, seminary, you shouldn't use words like throw up. <laughs> But here's what it means. It's like, I have hidden this in me. That's what that word means, to hedge about. And I'm not the Bible, like you don't walk around super glued to your chest. Osmosis don't work. But I have learned and I've learned God's word that when, when I'm doing something, man, the Holy Spirit will bring it to my remembrance. And I won't grieve him. By the way, you can grieve though. If you're able to sin, listen, if you're able to sin and get away with it, there's a problem. The Holy Spirit's not going to go, well, that's not a big sin, so that one's okay. No, he don't do that. Let me just give you a few more and I'm done. Verse 17 says this, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep. There's that same word, keep your word. Oh, but the other one says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 81 and then verse 89, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. And verse 89, and here's why you can hang on to this. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And a literal translation of that means it stands firm in the heavens. You know the very first, first person thing to challenge and question the word of God was the snake. Why do we? I don't have a clue what you guys are going through today. I know what some of you are going through. I don't know what all of you are going through. Here's what I want to tell you today. There is strength in faith. Strength to endure past what you are humanly possible to do. When you see the invisible and you keep the word. 
you'll have strength beyond comprehension. Because the God of heaven will be powerful in your life. If you'll surrender to that. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, when you begin to talk about struggles of life, it gets to be right heavy. Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcba.com.